Hello, and welcome back to the third episode of New Creation Woman Podcast, where we chat all things beautiful and ugly about the womanhood through the faithful lens of restoration and renewal by Christ. So we opened up this series with a focus on biblical femininity, and we explained the Hebrew term for woman used in Genesis as their connecto, and explored the controversial concept of biblical submission. So if you missed any of those episodes, be sure to go back and check them out. And if you haven't done so already, please subscribe to our podcast wherever you are listening from. We are available on YouTube, Apple, and Spotify. So wherever you're tuning in from, just take a moment now and give us a five-star rating and written review. That will help us reach more ears that are willing to hear and hearts that are willing to receive. It really helps us further our reach and our work for His kingdom here on earth. So this week, the Lord put it on my heart to discuss something that is sometimes seen as controversial, often misinterpreted, and overlooked by modern society. And yet, it is a treasure trove where power and grace lies within. I'm talking about the subtle yet powerful strength that comes in silence. Perhaps you grew up hearing the old phrase that, like children, women should be seen and not heard. Now, I know for my generation, at least, that phrase is a total relic, and rightfully so. You know, it took us nearly a century to overturn that one, and it's safe to say it's truly, it's been forgotten. However, when silence is used as a power, as a conscious act of self-control, not because we are simply being told to, or, you know, the subject of neglect or even abuse, but because we recognize that it can be an opportunity to save our energy from lashing out, to keep our peace, and to navigate a situation that would otherwise quickly escalate out of control and into scenarios we would likely regret. So this is the type of subtle power in maintaining composure and grace that I want to look deeper into with you today. You know, I think one of the most obvious examples of this in my daily life (laughs) has come from social media and whether or not to engage. I use it as a platform to get God's word out and often get some lashback for things that I share, even from Christians. People can say the rudest things from behind a keyboard, and I'm sure you've probably experienced a keyboard warrior attacker to yourself. The issue is I never want to become so worldly that I'm afraid to call out evil when I see it. And I'll never fear the hate of this world more than I do allowing souls to end up in hell because of my silence. And that, my friends, is when silence becomes a sin, when people would rather sit silent than save lives. So, you know, I get multiple messages calling me judgmental or I can't even begin to imagine people like you exist (laughs) or the more obscene ones that I'm not going to share with you. And I get them on a daily basis and I've learned over time how to not let it get under my skin. It took time, but now they really don't bother me and even somewhat affirm that I'm reaching the audience I need to be, especially when I talk about Christians and yoga, which I will eventually get to in another episode because that's always a real eye opener for many people. And no matter how unpopular the message of his word is to them at the time, I'm at least being heard by them and maybe planting a seed. Anyways, I've also learned it's best that I pause after reading those types of comments and really pray before replying, if I even reply at all. And you know, I ask God for his grace and his patience as I seek his will and his word for them. And you know, they might receive his truth even if they are cursing my name. 
So what's really interesting is that one or two of these messages used to ruin my whole day. And now they're almost invigorating. <laughs> Not because I'm enthralled with people hating me, but because it's a prompt that reminds me to rely on the Lord and his strength, that I don't have to navigate the situation alone or really solely on my on my own at all. It's his best strategies and that he has complete control and that I can ask for his wisdom and will to be done, not my own. You know, it becomes one of those Jesus take the wheel moments and he does every single time. So that's kind of along the lines of what we talked about last week, that there is truly a liberating freedom that comes with submission sometimes. Surrendering to Christ is a gift and an honor because he never fails and he never gets it wrong. But so often, even in my best intentions, I do. So we can keep our peace, not waste our energy and rest in the assurance that the Lord can handle every situation for us and for our best interests when we choose to control our reactions with silence instead of engaging in conflict. And that's that nifty phrase that says, respond, don't react. Because a reaction is like a knee jerk. You know, it's impulsive, it's immediate, and usually not well thought out. <laughs> but a response is a choice. It's purposeful and it's controlled. Let's look at Proverbs 29:11, where it says, a fool lets fly with all his temper, but a wise person keeps it back. And Proverbs 17, 28 says, even fools are thought wise when they keep silent. With their mouths shut, they seem intelligent. You know, I can tell you that I have not always been so mindful about when I speak, and it's landed me in a lot of unnecessary trouble throughout the years. All the way back to grade school, my mother could attest that I used to bring home report cards. And they would say something along the lines of, she's a really bright young girl, but she needs to learn to think before she speaks. <laughs> and year after year, different teachers would say the same thing. And it was a really tough lesson for me to learn. Back when I first got into business and I was being mentored by a senior partner at a law firm, I was told, Listen and don't speak unless someone directly asks you a question. <laughs> and immediately my knee-jerk reaction was like, yeah, right, this is just that old school classic, the man trying to silence me and shut me down stuff. <laughs> but it wasn't. And it took me growing older and wiser, I suppose, to see that there's real strength in silence. There is potential for growth, learning, and that there's a wisdom in it. I think it's especially wise to engage in silence as our first response when dealing with anger situations. Don't you think? Like when my spouse and I disagree, sometimes we notice that the other is getting irritated, but we press on, almost purposefully trying to get a reaction out of the other. And the situation quickly escalates until one of us says something that we will regret and ask forgiveness for later, or we simply have to walk away from each other for a few moments, calm down and, you know, separate rooms. And recall that the enemy comes to do three things, kill, steal, and destroy. In situations like that, he slowly kills relationships by destroying the peace and stealing the joy. Causing divisions is one of his greatest tactics for ultimate destruction. And it wasn't an easy lesson for me to apply as a relatively newlywed who is hot-tempered Italian and also somewhat strong-willed, at least I'd like to think so, and I've always been told so. But the Bible verse from Ephesians is something that my grandmother used to live by, and she passed it down in her wisdom to me. In Ephesians 4.26, it says, Be angry and do not sin. 
Do not let the sun go down on the cause of your anger. Now, if you're like me and you tend to cling to those outbursts of emotion in an unhealthy way, sometimes like I use it for fuel for a workout or to go knock out a hundred errands and tasks around the house that I've been hesitating to do because of lack of energy. To be honest, sometimes I think that's why my husband and I purposefully keep pressing each other's buttons instead of pausing and responding with silence to de-escalate the situation. And I'm working on it, I really am. <laughs> so yeah, it, it can be hard for me to not go to bed angry, but so far I can say it's probably the best bit of advice I received when it came to navigating a real relationship, especially one where you have to live with the other person. <laughs> and though I think it's relevant for friends and coworkers too, the longer I let a nasty situation fester in my heart, and this aligns with forgiveness, which we are called to do as followers of Christ, then the worse that situation gets. And choosing silence does not mean to go away and do nothing. It's more like a pause button, and it gives us the ability to maintain control, keep our dignity about us, and respond with grace strategically so that we spend our energy doing something that yields something constructive rather than deconstructive. So by taking that controlled pause, we allow the time for us to compose ourselves in a manner that we might not have previously you know, done. We might have yelled, we might have screamed, and now we can be quietly spoken and we can have a discussion. In Ecclesiastes 9.17, it says that the quiet words of the wise are more to be heeded than the shouts of a ruler of fools. <laughs> and I've learned this works best with my kids too. When they behave badly or do something that needs discipline or correction and they see me yelling, they immediately go into fight or flight, right? It's, it's just what our instincts do. And where they're trying to figure out the quickest way to get away from me and this situation rather than learn, you know, through it and possibly accept the consequences and seek forgiveness. Bottom line, no one likes being yelled at and no one likes being talked to. Rather, we like being spoken with and gently at that. And this is when both sides have a chance to communicate and perhaps grow through the circumstance rather than divide in hostility. Now I've shared that biting my tongue is seriously not something that comes naturally for me and it usually takes an immense amount of self-control. That being said, I also don't think it's a coincidence that self-control is one of the fruits of the Spirit. In Galatians 5.22, it says that the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Once I heard somewhere that these qualities were recorded in a specific order for a reason and that they build upon one another. Now I'm not sure if that's true or not, but I guess it kind of makes sense because you can't have joy where there is no love. And peace requires both love and joy, right? Patience is a virtue that I think is only acquired when one is truly content and at peace, regardless of the circumstance. And oddly enough, some translations refer to it as long suffering. You know, I looked into that further because I thought, who in the world wants to suffer for a long time? <laughs> and what the phrase really means is to have forbearance, to be able to endure circumstances where others might find suffering, but with peace, which I think is phenomenal and really only possible through the Holy Spirit. Obviously, the list goes on until you reach self-control, which is ironically or not listed last. 
And it's probably listed last because for most of us, it is the hardest one to master. <laughs> Given the fact that we are all humans stuck in our sinful flesh, bodies in a fallen world, we will never perfectly master it, but we can certainly try. And I think one of the most helpful ways I keep myself in check is running through the fruits of the spirit when I begin to feel anxious or angry or any other type of negative emotion. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. <laughs> so if you're like me, then memorizing scripture it, word for word, it doesn't come easy. I can always recall like the gist or the meaning or the verse, but to recite them word for word, I often stumble. Since I use the fruits of the Spirit so often, I needed to find a way to commit them to memory. So back when I had a matching family t-shirt business, I did design a little baby onesie with all the fruits and the parents matching shirt that said, you will know them by their fruits. And so I memorized the names of the fruits of the Spirit by designing and redesigning those cute little fruits over and over again. However, I found something that might be able to help you. And if you aren't driving and you have a pen and paper, you might want to grab them so you can just jot this down and visualize it because I am a visual learner too. And although I couldn't find an acronym for memorizing the fruits of the spirit, I did find a cute mnemonic that has also worked for me. So first know this, there's a simple rule. There are nine fruits, okay? And of the nine fruits, they come in sets of three. So there are three sets of three. The first three words have one syllable, love, joy, peace. The second group of words has two syllables, patience, kindness, goodness. And the third group has three syllables, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. We used to do that back in kindergarten, I think. So this will come in handy for the mnemonic because some words start with the same letter, but no words that start with the same letter have the same amount of syllables. And the mnemonic goes, loving Jesus, please, love, joy, peace, pardon King George, patience, kindness, goodness, for going shopping, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. So I'll ask to work to put this in the show notes for you, um, or I'll leave a comment wherever it's posted. And so wherever you're listening from, hopefully you can better visualize it. It's, it's really helped me. And you know, emotions, they're not supposed to drive the wheel in our lives. <laughs> we are to maintain self-control in those heated moments. And sometimes running backwards through that list of fruits helps me too. For example, if I feel like I'm losing self-control over something, I can say, okay, what am I not particularly feeling gentleness towards here? Which is basically just my nice way of saying, why am I so furious right now? <laughs> and what do I need to be faithful about despite maybe wanting to be a bit more selfish? Then move on to how can I respond with goodness and kindness and mindfully practice patience in this situation? Do you see how I'm just moving backwards in that verse through the list of the fruits of the Spirit? You know, and if I can get that far, then chances are peace begins to set in, and maybe even joy, but most always love. So by the time I mindfully run through all those qualities, reminding myself they are gifts of the Spirit that are given to me in abundance when my heart is open and willing to receive, then I can surely see the love at the root of it all. And suddenly the situation has calmed. I've become more calm and I can gain control over my atmosphere in any situation and proceed with peace and grace and self-control. 
you know, we can do extraordinary things when we lead from love. And if you remember last week, we spoke about how the biblical authors did not view love as an emotion, but it was an action verb. Love is something that you do by committing to prioritize to another's well-being over your own. Like Christ so loved us, he gave his life. And that this is to be how we live. This is how we live out our faith in every relationship that we have and every interaction that we have with others. With love as the core principle of everything, we can best imitate Christ. I was reading in the first book of Corinthians and I saw something really interesting. For the first time, this verse that I was familiar with just kind of resonated differently. Don't you love when the Holy Spirit guides you to fresh revelation in his word? And it was from chapter four, verses 20 through 21. And it says, for the kingdom of God is not in the word, but in the power. What do you want? Shall I come to you with a rod or in love and a spirit of gentleness? And this was Paul talking to the Corinthians after they had strayed away from the core principles and foundations that he laid when he founded the church in Corinth. And instead of coming to them with a rod for correction, he said that love and the spirit of gentleness was where true power was coming from. For the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. And I can see the correlation directly between the power being in love and the spirit of gentleness and not in the rod. So in the context of what we're talking about right now, there is not true power in yelling, you know, it's in silence and in gentleness. Then love can flourish and true power will ignite. Flowing through the fruits of the spirit as a checklist and operating from love at the core is one of my most favorite life hacks and faith hacks, which simply means how I find and live out my faith in my daily situations. Biting my tongue might not be one of my favorite faith hacks, but it certainly has proven fruitful. And if you have any favorite life hacks or faith hacks, I would love for you to share them with us. Just drop a comment or leave a message wherever you are listening from. And you can always find me on Instagram at Mrs. That's M-R-S dot Mikel Russo, M-I-C-H-A-L-R-U-S-S-O. I'm very active there. And biting our tongues is not just a fancy figure that makes us seem intelligent and graceful. <laughs> Rather, it is necessary because our tongues carry real power and they can be really dangerous. When it comes to the power of the tongue, I don't think anyone quite drives the point home as well as James did. In chapter three, verses two through 10, he says, for we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, He's a perfect man, able to also bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole body as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. I mean, take a second and just try to envision what he is saying here, that your tongue can have the fire of hell on it. That's wild. 
But if you've ever been cursed at or cursed someone else, then maybe you can picture it or even feel it. Another coincidence that may not be such a coincidence after all is the word curse. You know, we use it to describe an obscenity, but actually when we speak those foul words over someone, they can become a curse. You know, some can happen unknowingly, like when a small child gets told that they're never going to be any good at something. That is a word curse. And believers can, you know, bind and break word curses spoken over us in the name of Jesus because he has given us that authority. However, you know, there's another reason we should be so careful with our tongues to guard them and control the words we say and sometimes activate that gift of the fruit of the spirit and practice self-control by just keeping our mouths shut. So beyond just the subtle power of silence and keeping our peace while maintaining dignity and self-control, our tongues carry a very real and not so subtle power when they speak words. Proverbs 18, 21 says, death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruits. Death and life. In our tongues, <laughs> Jesus is revealed to us as the word made flesh. In John 1, 14, it says the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And in Genesis 1, we see that God spoke the world and all of creation as we know it into existence. And in Genesis 3, 1 through 21, he also spoke death and judgment and the fall of man and humanity, original sin. But think about this for a moment. The Bible also says that God created us in his image. We spoke about that in depth last week and that we are therefore his image bearers. So this means that we also have power in our words. And what does it mean when it says those who love it will eat its fruits? Well, it means exactly what it says. You will literally eat the fruit of your tongue. If your words are sweet, you will eat sweet fruits of life. And if they are bitter, well, you'll reap bitter fruits. And if you allow you know, yourself to, to give or to vent anger and engage in gossip or spread lies, you will quite literally soon find yourself eating your words. And one funny thing about a word spoken is that once it leaves your mouth, it can never be taken back. And that's another reason we should really pause and take silent moments before reacting. Jesus said in Matthew 15, 11, it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a person. And in James 3, 8 through 10, it says, but no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come both blessing and curse. If we can't speak life or love with our tongues, then we are best to keep them silent. But in the contrary, when we can speak life and love, we really ought to. Proverbs 12, 18 says, there is one whose rash words are like a sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Our tongues can bring healing and comfort and joy. Wouldn't you like to be thought of as that girl? <laughs> you do know, um, Anyone who fights depression, and every time you speak to them, they're just miserable. You know, they never have a good thing to say. There's this old saying, and I was told this as a teen by one of my girlfriend's mothers when she caught her sneaking out after bed, and I remained there too scared to crawl out of the window of someone else's house. And she said, I'll always remember this, misery loves company. 
And it really stuck with me ever since. You know, this mother was so disappointed in her own daughter's disobedience that she warned me with like a harsh life lesson using her own daughter as the, daughter as the example. And she was right. In 1 Peter 3.10, it says, whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. You know, I desire to love my life every single day. And I want to see those days as good no matter what happens, because I believe that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. That's Romans 8.28. So to sum it all up, if I can't speak life and love, then I'll remain silent. It is truly a tough standard to live by, especially when as women and mothers and leaders for the next generation of girls, we are called to give correction at times, but we can handle it with grace and just a little bit of salt. Like it says in Colossians 4, 6, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. And remember, in any situation, we can always pause pray, and ask God to help us respond in a way where we are striving for the righteousness of Christ. James 1, 19 through 20, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Well, that's all the time we have for today. If you have any specific topics you'd like me to cover in regards to biblical womanhood or the subtle power, subtle power of silence, then just shoot me a quick comment and we welcome questions. Please, please connect with us on Instagram at New Creation Woman. That's New Creation Woman, W-O-M-A-N. We check it multiple times a day. And again, I'd love to hear from you. In the meantime, May his peace and grace be with you wherever you go. Amen, sisters.